Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, we have Jenna Hoover. She is a star of Renovation Road that was featured on HGTV recently. She also has a number of rental units under her belt and has been doing this for over 10 years. What I think you're going to get so much from this episode with her is we talk a lot about analyzing deals and also her humble beginnings. We talk a lot about how within the first six months, she was able to get five deals under contract and then how she was able to actually do that financially, mentally, physically with uh, a two-year-old and, uh, you know, as a single mom. We then talk a lot about analyzing deals and she doesn't analyze simple deals. She goes into historic preservation type of homes. So we go through some tips and some pitfalls to avoid whether you're working on single family homes or you're working on multifamily homes. You're going to get a lot from today's episode. Before we get into Jenna's story, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Interest rates are sky high in 2023 and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz with the Real Estate Investor Show. Our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. I'm so excited to be joined here. By Jenna Hoover. Jenna, thanks so much for making time to connect with me and be on our show here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so excited about her background. We're going to get into analyzing deals. We're going to historic preservation and just her how she started in this business, which is so powerful. Before we go there, I just want to welcome all of our 
you know, existing listeners, the, the women and men who've been on our journey for five years. So thank you for coming back for another episode. And I want to also welcome the new folks that are listening. Thank you for making time to be on this journey with us because we always like to say it's, it's a journey. And I am running solo. I, uh, I'm missing my partner in crime, Andressa, but she will be back. She hasn't gone anywhere, but she will be back very soon. So know that. But I'm going to, you know, just excited to be with all of you. And Jenna, as we kick things off, we like to kind of go deep quickly because that's how we roll at the real estate investor community. Women and men don't have time to waste. So that's how that's our context, right? So here's the question I want to I want to start our interview with. What lesson has taken you the longest to learn? Oh, what lesson has taken me the longest to learn? I think the the lesson that took me the longest was not to live in the past and or basically to not let things define you of the past or any mistakes and and really leverage it because I, I look back at my real estate journey and I think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that deal or I wish I would have offered differently. And oh, there's so many other times and like in my present that I think I would never have known to do that had I not screwed up on something. Like even my dad has mistakes mm-hmm. like because he has some real estate background and he'd say, I should have never sold that condo up at that ski resort. And I said, dad, if you never would have done that, then I never would have known to get an Airbnb right at that same ski resort. So a lot of the things people think that are mistakes or I screwed up here or, oh, you know, whatever, those are the things that define you and give you the knowledge to be able to do even bigger and better things right now and in the future. Yeah. Makes so much sense, right? And it, the mistakes are hard to swallow, right? They they really are. And I know, you know, I've been investing for 17 years and we've done all different types of things multifamily being mostly our, our focus. But it, you know, it's really, you're right. The mistakes really do prevent future missteps, if you will. So that's a really good perspective. And it's a good way of looking at it because you're going to make them. <laughs> yeah. They're going to happen in this business. You know, I love that. That's great. Great context. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, I know, you know, you, you have such a, a powerful beginning. You know, you started out in this industry and we know, you know, we're changing that with the real estate investor community and really bringing women together. But, it, you know, it, it, from an investing perspective, right, people think, you know, describe an investor to me, right? Most people will, you know, traditionally think of a white male, but it just is what it is. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yes, but it is what it is. The isms that are out there and we need to be mindful and we need to change that. So when they do think of an investor, they don't think of just that traditional from our society. So we're up to that. And I, I know from your beginning, you have such a powerful start. You were a single mom of a young daughter. I think it was she was two years old at the time. You were fairly young as well. And you got into this, started investing. So, so tell us a little bit about that that journey and you know how you got into your first deal. And then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah. So my background was not in real estate, actually. It was in the medical field. And so I went to school for radiology. And I did medical sales for about seven years. And Mm. I mean, when that alarm clock would go off, I'm sure like if other people are in a career where they just don't really enjoy it, I would just be like, I just want to do something different. And I always, always loved real estate. I'd watch the shows on TV and I'd say, let's paint my kitchen cabinets today. Like I was, I just always loved it. And so I put my career on hold whenever I was married to have my daughter. And when she was about six months old, things kind of fell apart and I had to move back in the house with my parents. So, you know, we were making quarter of a million dollars a year, had condos in the city, houses in the country. We had lake property, Harleys, boats, like Mm. people would think that was the life and then kind of have to 
moved back in at 25 years old with my parents in my old bedroom with my daughter. And I'm like, man, I just love real estate. I I just don't know anybody who does it. I'd see the shows and I would think like, man, if I could figure it out and kind of fast forward a while, like one day I was at the gym and uh, an ad on, you know, my on my phone radio for a real estate education company came on and I said, like, let's figure it out. Let's see if I can do it. And so, you know, I went to the seminars and I eventually decided to get a mentor and kind of go forward at it. And like at that time, then my daughter, she was two. And I had like, I had zero real estate experience or knowledge. Like I remember, like I had notes written down and I'm like, what does the word escrow mean? (laughs) Like that's how green I was, like no idea about anything. And I think that's probably what helped me is that like I had, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And I didn't have any fears because I didn't know what I could screw up or anything like that. And so um, I kind of went forward with it. I got a mentor and I was probably in it for about six months. And I remember my men, or I'm sorry, for about six weeks. Mm. And my mentor, he's like, all right, you know, go out and make 10 offers and see what happens. And I'm from like a really small area in southwestern Pennsylvania. And I had about six properties that I had, you know, kind of kicked around. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I made six offers and all six got accepted. Oh my I'm gosh. Like, I'm like, I didn't get that far in the training. Like, I don't even know what the heck to do now. <laughs> so my my first deal, I ended up buying it and I um, flipped it in about five weeks. And I made, I think it was about $38,000 on my first deal. Congrats. So, yeah. That's huge. Break that down. And then I, and then that was a flip. And then I know you've gotten into rentals and mm-hmm. focus has been historic preservation, which is a whole niche in within a niche, right? Before we go there, you're back home with your parents, right? And, you know, you're raising what, a two-year-old at the time by mm-hmm. yourself. And obviously having support around you, but still it's got to be a lot. And then you get inspired, you start educating, you get a mentor, and then you're you're following what the mentor is saying. It happens. So what then gave you that confidence to say, okay, I got these off. Now, did you do all six of those at the time? I took five of them on. Okay. Wow. You took five on as a brand new investor. Yeah. Wow. That's I wouldn't I would not recommend recommend that that. just because I like because of that, that's where my mistakes were made because, you know, I, I had like two or three rehabs going on at one time. And I remember saying to my mentor, I'm like, is there anything I should have my contractor sign? Like if they fall off the roof and break yeah. your arm and he's like, uh, you don't have them. You didn't have them sign like all these different. I'm like, I didn't get that far in the training. Like, no, I didn't. So, you know, I mean, knock on wood, that didn't, I, you know, I didn't have any issues in that. But so what for you? Because that's such a powerful thing, right? So you, you're literally learning as you're doing a deal. And that could be overwhelming. What for you created this courage, this confidence to do five deals that you'd never done before at the same time and being new in the business and, and, and everything and being, you know, and having a lot at stake, right? Clearly. So how did you every day wake up? At, and obviously there's mindset there, there's skills, there's a lot of pieces. But what for you did you come back to to have that kind of deep rooted courage confidence like i got this like versus like i can't i'll just do one or i don't know if i can do any like what for you push you over the edge and and got you through that fear do we be totally honest with you i would love that me you and just you know some people listening (laughs) well i mean i was going to talk about numbers because a lot of people don't talk about like what some of the real estate education companies cost and so the company that I became part of, it was for me to, to have six months of coaching. It was $25,000. Yeah. And and at that time, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, because I like whenever I, I got divorced, 
everything we had went to a business he had created with a new business partner and things sure. like that. And so I was pretty much left jobless, homeless, obviously, because I had to move in with my parents. And I had my daughter and I had to figure out how am I going to financially take care of myself? Sure. So at that point, like I had been saving money for my daughter in a savings account, like any of the child support money I got. And then I had credit cards that had like 0% financing on them. Mm-hmm. And so for $25,000, I got six months of training. And I honestly, I looked at it and I said, six months is basically like 24 weeks. I spent $25,000. Every week I sit here, I'm taking $1,000 away from my daughter's savings account and I'm throwing it away. So mm-hmm. I had to look at it like I have to go. Every week I would sit and do nothing. That was a thousand dollars and then thousand dollars. And so I had to keep going. I had, you know, like there were times when I when I was divorced, I was just like, I just wouldn't want to, want to stay in bed all day and cry and feel sorry for myself. But I had her, you know, I couldn't I, I could fail to me all day long. I couldn't fail to her. And and honestly, I just always felt like there was something different inside of me. Like I know different times. It's not cocky. It's not being arrogant. I just sure. always felt like there was something different that I had. And I'm sure everybody who's sitting there is thinking that same thing at some point in their life where, you know, somebody else gets the raise. But then you're like, well, what about me? Like, I, right. I feel like I have something different. Like, I didn't have like that quitting factor. And, you know, I was raised with hard, super hardworking parents and they worked full time and they busted their butts. And, you know, one would work daylight and then one would pick up three to mm-hmm. 11. And so like, I always had that like, go, go, go mentality, but really it was her. And, and I like, I didn't have a plan B. And so sometimes when people are like, well, I have my full-time job and sure. like, I kind of want to do real estate. And it's like, if it doesn't work, I'm not going to tell anybody because then I don't want anybody to know I failed. And I gave it like 95%. Like I gave it every single thing that I had And really the difference that separates somebody who succeeds and fails is just the person who's willing to keep trying. Like if somebody else can succeed at this, I know it's possible. And then I know it's possible for me. So then I just have to figure out, yeah, yeah, I may screw up, I may stumble, but I have to get back up and dust myself off. And those are the days where you become an investor. And that's what separates you from the other people. Yeah, that's very powerful, right? So I I love that. I love that way of looking at. So, So when my husband and I got started, you know, we did not you know, pay for for a mentor or a coaching program. And everyone has their own reasons and and different, you know, strategies. Would that have accelerated and maybe avoided some issues? Probably, you know, quite honestly, we didn't have the 25K and we weren't going to, you know, we were already in in debt. So it was like, you know, we were just doing our best and figuring it out. But when you put it in that perspective of saying, okay, this is costing me, you know, $1,000 a week to not make a decision, how am I going to get my money back? And I think that's a great perspective for everyone listening, especially as we're hiring people, as we're investing in new new systems for our company. There's a cost, and there's a, but it's also an investment. And it's like, how do I get this money back as quickly as possible? Especially when it comes to coaches. Coaches are not cheap. Good coaches, great coaches, especially as you level up your leadership and your entrepreneurship, there's a, an investment. So it's almost like, how do I get my money? Which I think is what you were saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's costing me a thousand. How do I get my money back as fast as possible? Because it's coming out of her savings. I love that. And and, it, and that probably motivated you to be like, yep, I think I'll take five out of the six. So. Yeah. So in terms of analyzing deals, let's let's jump into that. Because I think, you know, it's a skill that it's a muscle. I always like to say it's a muscle. Whether you've been doing this for two years, 10 years or 15 years, it's a muscle that continually needs to kind of work on, just like going to the gym. It's not like you analyze one deal and you're good. You know, it gets more complex, especially as you get into larger properties or more complex properties. And I think the the analyzing the deal and structuring the deal 
is probably one of the most important skills that investors need to have right now, especially in today's economy, especially with what's happening. So, um, so let's jump in. You have these five deals. You know, uh, these were singles, single families, as well as small multis, correct? Yeah. So they were all single family properties. All single. Okay. Yeah, all single. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what did you put in place to start, you know, building that muscle of analyzing these deals and, and being mindful of, you know, how to make all the numbers work? What did, what were some of the, the, the first steps and then even the things you do now to ensure you're analyzing well and what that process looks like and just what recommendations you can give to the, to the woman listening? Well, I mean, obviously I learned a lot since those five deals, but right. I, I think, I think the thing that a lot of investors screw up with in the beginning is they're so excited for that first deal that they're willing to convince themselves that it's a deal. So like when they pull comps, they'll pull comps and they'll say, oh, mine's going to be nicer. So mine will sell higher than every one of these comps that are out there. <laughs> that's so and true. that's, then that's like a, a big screw up. And then also when you look at the repair numbers, like when you're not used to seeing what it costs to repair, you know, because I, I was fortunate. I had, you know, a piece of real estate software, like I had a really good CRM that I worked with. It's from like my the beginning of real estate where it had a built-in deal analyzer. It had a repair estimator. It had things like that. So I Great. could go in and say, okay, roof, you know, click. And then it would, it would calculate my square footage and then it would have the grand total of what it would cost labor and material. And then I would, you know, click on, you know, kitchen. It would have the grand total. So I, like a lot of screw-ups in the beginning for people, other investors, is they could look at that grand total number and they would say, you know, like 102,000, like, if you're not used to seeing that number, you'd be like blown away because 102,000, like that's more than some people make an entire year. So they're like, oh my gosh, like I could do it for so much cheaper. And so those are like the two pitfalls right there in the beginning, thinking your mm. property is going to sell higher than it will. And then thinking that you can rehab it cheaper than what it ends up costing. So now not only are you going to get into a project where now you can't finish it? You don't have enough money to finish the project. But even if you do, you come up with a way. Now you can't even sell it for the profit that you thought. So it's either you're going to be at a break even or at a loss. And so then then if you have that and it snowballs one after another. So the biggest advice that I would have for somebody getting into this is just making sure that you have that that system, that ironclad way of really knowing what those properties will sell for. So whether you you know, get MLS access, whether you're an agent, whether you have agents that are on your team that are your friends, it can help you comp these properties properly. Like that's going to be critical, like knowing, you know, 100% what it's going to sell for, depending on what the market is doing and and know, you know, if it's springtime, if it's fall, if it's winter, when is that property going to sell and for how much? And then really knowing the cost of those renovations, like meeting with contractors, even before you even have a project yeah, and getting those. And, and I'm sure, you know, like having contractors that you can trust is going to be key. So like I used to put contractors up against the wall and I would be not like, literally, no, literally. I like that. I was, I'm like, oh, tell yeah. us about that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, I mean, contractors, that's like a whole different story. But yeah. like, you know, I, I would ask them a question where I clearly would know the answer just to see if they would take, you know, solution A or B. Because if I knew if they had my my interest in mind and they want to give me the best deal possible mm. so that I can get the next project and the next project and give them consistent work, then that's somebody who I trust and who I want to work with. Because then I know that like that way, there's going to be times I don't know the answer. I don't know every component about, you know, behind the walls on every single thing. So if I can trust them numerous different times, then I can trust them in a scenario where I have to trust them.
You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? And 500 of those women will be at InvestorCon 2024. It is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestorCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures, gain the knowledge and the skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with women who are playing at the same level. Time is running out, though. You just have three weeks left to get your ticket. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestorCon.com today and use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestorHerCon.com, promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply makes so much sense. I like that. And I, I think what you're saying is very applicable to sale projects, but also rental projects. So I think a lot of people, another pitfall is not only do they think it's going to sell higher, but they also think it's going to refinance for higher, yeah. rent for higher, right? So so, so you're, you, what you're saying is so applicable regardless of the deal, because the, the analysis of, especially now, because we are literally playing with, we're, we're in a time where interest rates are changing. So your your exact deal that you're underwriting today could look very different in six months. That's even, you know, a, another sort of landscape that we're in. So you really need to have your finger on the pulse of what those numbers are. Because if you're going to refinance it and you're adding a lot of value, will you be able to pull the money out that you need to? Or is it going to make financial sense? Those are so many question marks, right? And so um, I love what you're saying too, though, the so- selling higher. And, it, and, and so many people think the rehab, I mean, I can't tell you, our first flip, we didn't make 30000 We lost 30000 And um, we put a roof on that we ended up having to tear down the whole house. I mean, this is an interesting one for us. I hate to say it, but we did that. So, But what was really powerful there was at the rehab, It so many people think it's going to be cheaper than they think because they're not using the right people. Mm-hmm. I think that there's labor and there's material. Had I realized that at that time, or even in our beginning projects, there's a cost to getting the right labor, good labor or, or ineffective labor, 
And there's a cost to the material that you're going to use. And you have to have a finger on the pulse of what that looks like. So many people go sometimes the cheapest, and you know, I'm thinking it's not, you know, a big deal. Every time we went with the cheaper contractor, bit us in the butt. Every time. You think we learn, you know, but we did learn in those early years. We just you start to really get clear. So I, I love those tips. As you 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 move from singles to to, to multis, that's a very big uh, goal for a lot of the women we serve, a lot of women in our community, and I'm, I'm sure the, the the men listening. Not a huge shift. It's not like going from apples to oranges, but it it is a shift, right? It, there's a transition. So tell us a little about how that what that looked like as you were analyzing, say, the single family home versus you know you said you have some um, triplexes and some small multis. So what for you? What did you put in place to again increase that that muscle, if you will, that with that transition? Like when it came to my rentals, I lucked into them. I had a house that was being renovated and I always tell my contractors, like I always would keep business cards there. And I'm like, if a buyer comes by, if a seller comes by, if whoever comes by, you know, and I'm not there, always promote me, make sure you have my card, you know, share my information. And a local landlord came by and thought it was a different investor's project. And he's like, is this so-and-so's, you know, renovation? And they said, no, but Jenna buys houses. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. they gave him my contact information. He contacted me and he was like, hey, I have these rentals. Would you be interested? You know, I started building a relationship. It was kind of like he wasn't real serious. And then like within about a year, he basically wanted to sell his entire rental portfolio. So it was 15 different, you know, different properties. And I was like, heck yeah. You know, some of them were, you know, a couple of them were some fourplexes, a triplex, some duplexes. Mm -hmm. I mean, and most of them were pretty much move and ready. So out of 15, I think five of them were occupied. The unfortunate thing was they had two children and one of them had passed away in a car wreck. And so they were going to be passing all those properties down to him. And then when he passed away, they just kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so they just let them sit there vacant. And so I got all of them for a fantastic price. Like I got them for about 30,000 a door. So I forget the, how much it was like four hundred and something thousand for all of them, and I'm like, all right, I can figure out how to make you know raise four hundred and something thousand. So of course, going to a bank, you know, they're like, well, you don't have twelve month seasoning, and you don't have this, and you don't have that, and like, you know how like the headache of getting financing with a bank, and and so I had to use private lenders at like twelve percent interest for a while, and then I ended up refinancing them out, and you know, kind of the rest is history, and then I started collecting more and more as I went, but. I mean, just analyzing them like the like I mean, I'm like thirty. It was like twenty couple thousand a door, like less than thirty thousand a door, and um, the numbers just worked. And you know, some of them I had to put in some carpet. I inherited this one guy that literally had forty cats in his like in his apartment. You know, so like I had to kick him out, and he hadn't paid rent in a while. And you know, we had to put about forty thousand into that unit. But I mean, really, they weren't a ton of work, and I felt so grateful and so blessed that that they just stumbled across my property that one day. And I just think like, had my contractor not given them my information that day, like, I don't even know what things would be like now. Well, and I think that story makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense for a few different perspectives. But sharing what you're up to with people around you is really important. And so many people don't do that because we often think, are they going to be able to help me or not? I, I tell everyone what I do, you know, and, and, and I do a lot of different things. So, it, you know, not that I'm self-promoting or, but I, I just, if it comes up in this conversation, people know you're a resource and what you're looking for, especially if you're living in the community you're investing. And if you're doing out of state for those listening, which I know so many people, right, could be, inv- you know, living in California, they don't want to invest in California or other, other um, expensive areas. 
hang out and go to those areas you're looking to invest and tell the people in that community what you're looking for. So I, I you did that. The other thing you said that was, that was really powerful was that you said, I got to steal. Each, each deal was 30K a door. So, so many times we cannot move quickly, especially in a market like this, because we actually don't know the numbers. So to analyze a deal, you need to know what an average, right? What the going rate per door is in that particular market. Not only that, but you need to know what it's for. What kind of product is it for? Is it a class C? Is it like a dilapidated, you know, kind of like workforce housing? Um, or is it like something that's a little nicer and, and working professionals live there and, you know, those sort of things. Depending on the product in the community, you're going to know what per door average, you know, the average rate is. And so you were able to move quickly because you knew that. Mm-hmm. And then you were able to make your decisions from that. Had you not known that? Because you could say, is 30K a door a good deal in New Hope, Pennsylvania? I mean, that would be an amazing steal because we're we're more in like a little boutique community that people visit. I'd be like, where are you talking about? I want to buy it. But, you know, if you said 30K a door in Trenton, New Jersey, where we got our start, that is about right. It's 30 to 40, you know, a door when we, you know, we're investing heavily there. Two different markets, two different uh, products that you're selling, two different tenant base. So I just love that you said that and you were able to move quickly because you had the knowledge. So for those listening, if you're studying a market and you're looking at deals and you don't know what the going rate is for, for, for the product you're looking at, the type of property and per door, you need to know that and you need to figure that out before you start analyzing deals. Because what's a good deal? That's just, you know, and I, I don't know if you find that too as you've evolved, Jenna. It's so relative, right? Yeah. And even like when it comes to your rehab projects, like my niche, whenever I first got into rehabbing, like I would say like my goal is like these, you know, after a pair values of like 130K. And so I'm like, you know, my all in 70%, like my all in is $91,000. And I'd look at that all day long. I'm like, if I can buy it and rehab it for 91K and sell it for 130, that was like my niche all the time. But then it sounds crazy. But then I started noticing like the sweet spot was like between 80 and $100,000. I know it sounds like nothing probably to some people in those areas. But my biggest rehab profits were around like the 80 to $100,000 range because you have to figure out what like what is what is the average buying number in your area. So like there's houses where I could sell them for, you know, $90,000. And I was making like 50k on them because I was getting them so cheap and just doing like, the essentials, like putting, you know, you know, wiring in them. And a lot of them would be estates where, you know, grandma kept the house up really nice and there were newer windows and things like that. But the family just wanted to unload it and had to make like, you know, 40 to $50,000 on a house just because I was able to sell it so cheaply. So like just figuring out the average price range that people can afford in your area and don't over rehab them. Don't think like, well, what would I want? Do I want granite countertops? Do I want this? Do I want that? You're not buying it. (laughs) So yeah. yeah, that's the hardest part is like trying not to over rehab and then trying to make it a $200,000 house where you have six people that can afford it, but you have, you know, 150 people that could afford your $90,000 house. When you started to, you know, do that strategy, whereas you're getting into more, and that was where you were getting into more historic renovations, correct? Yeah. Like, I mean, 80 to 100K is, is a decent amount of, of renovation. And in some areas, that's just like, that's the cheap going rate of renovations in other areas that's like a full gut right it just depends on obviously the area how did you navigate especially with like historic and you know bigger rehab projects you know there's always a a question mark like you said as you open up the walls right there's always that and we've done a lot of those type of projects how did you analyze for that or how did you prepare for that to give you the cushion give you the conservative underwriting so you're like i can hedge this 
How did you yeah. begin to do that with your own analysis? I mean, like I can brag about my first deal of the 38,000 and I lucked into that that amount just because I had another local investor in the area that almost challenged me in the beginning because when I made all those offers, one of the offers that I made, I outbid him on a project. So I get Ooh. this random phone call one time on my deal number two. The first thing he's like, how much did you get that property accepted for? How much was your offer? And I'm like, 42,000. And he's like, literally what he said is, you don't know the first thing about real estate. And this is the first time I ever talked to this guy. And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, you never give them more than what they want because I think it was listed at like 39. And I said, well, with all due respect, I must know something about real estate because I'm the one that got the offer accepted and you didn't. <laughs> and so I started building a real relationship with him. And, he, and, he, and then, I mean, we're so great friends to this day. He's like a grandpa to me, but he helped me you know, move forward with my first one and help encourage sure. me, help me get my costs low. But then on that second one, I screwed up at different times because I didn't know what was behind those walls. So like, yeah, I made 38,000, but I, I think I lost like 13,000 on the second one, like no profit, 13,000 loss. Yep. And the reason being is because I opened up the walls and I had knob and tube wiring and I'm like, crap, what is that? And then I'm like, well, then, then not only that, it's like nothing was insulated. And then it's like two by fours. I call them true by fours. They're <laughs> two by fours. Like you, right, know, you have right. two by fours. So if you want to op- you know, close a wall, you want to do something, two by fours today aren't two by fours. So now you need furring strips. And I'm like, well, now I need all this lumber and now I need insulation and now I have to rewire and, you know, all these different components that I was not even prepared for. So that was probably the biggest learning lesson for me is like in these older houses that are 120 years old is that you're going to run into two by fours and you're going to run into most likely knob and tube wiring. Even if you can't see it, if it hasn't been completely renovated, it's hidden somewhere in the walls because there's no way some of these people are going to like, you know, spend 15K to really, really wire their house correctly in this area. I mean, some people do, but, you know, so then you're going to, you know, have to account for different things that you never expected before. So, now when I look at a house, like I'm going to budget for those things. And then it's a bonus if I don't if I don't run into them, then I have it extra. But I'm not going to take on a deal unless I feel comfortable for it. You know, you open, you take off the siding and you're like, crap, now I got to replace all the wood sheathing. And now, you know, this is rotten and that's rotten. And I mean, there's not really too much. And, and I'm sure like you, like you, you, your eyes almost work three dimensionally now. It's like yeah. when you look at something, you're in the basement, like I can tell you what the wiring is going to be like upstairs. I can tell you what the floors are going to be like. Mm-hmm. I can tell you all these different things. You know, I mean, if I see the the, the walls, I can tell you, you know, how the plaster is going to work. Right. And I can. I mean, like you, your eyes will look at it so differently, even after just one project. It's like learning how to ride a bike. Like once you learn how to ride it, then then you're fine. But you know, you're going to have some bumps and bruises and until then. Do you find that you put like an actual percent of contingency? So, okay, age, age property, this is a 1950s house or this is a 1900s house, right? Or my rehab costs are, are generally 100K and I'm dealing with an older property. So therefore, I'm going to put another X in. Is it a percent? Is it an amount of money to pretty much handle what you're saying, right? The things you can't see. Do you, yeah. do you either one of those? And what yeah, I call, I call it like my whoops factor. Like, whoops, okay. I didn't account for that. Usually I, I like I factor in about a 10% contingency for anything unforeseen. And I'm going to try my best to have like my contractors oversee it first. So I'm going to have, sure. I have a you know friend who's an inspector. So 
he'll charge me like 150 bucks just to come in and give me like a once over on it. Not like the 40 page inspection document, yeah. but like, no. you know, come on in and, you know, he's going to test this. He's going to double check that. So love that. Um, yeah. 10% of what? The the renovation? Of my cost? rehab. Yeah. My rehab okay. budget. Yeah. Got it. So the more it is, you're accounting for more. Okay. That's mm-hmm. great. I love this. I think it's great food for thought as we're as we're analyzing deals. Jenna, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow you along your journey? Pretty much on every social media platform. I'm at Jenna Buys Houses. So Jenna, J-E-N-N-A, buys is plural, B-U-Y-S, houses is plural, H-O-U-S-E-S. So I'm on all the different social media platforms under Jenna Buys Houses. Love it. I love it. So few of the three uh, fabulous questions we're going to end today on. So number one, what is the most transformational book you have ever read? I would think the book, it's called Mindset. You probably may have heard of it. It's by Carol Dweck. Yes, um, I started yeah, it. Didn't finish yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's such a great book. And I think it, for somebody like me who is from a super small town, you know, my parents are the type that you you get up, you go to work, you retire when you're 60 something and this is what you do. And I was the one that like broke the mold in my family. Like, you know, creating your own business like what is this you know so for me it was it was a real eye-opener because I didn't realize how fixed mindset I was mm-hmm. and yeah. you know a lot of times you think like oh I'm so I'm so open mindset you know but the thing was is that I wasn't and so reading that book it's it really just humbles you but then it opens your eyes to so many other things on ways that you can improve and when you're from a small town and you're you have small town upbringing and this is the way and this is what you've done it almost like I don't know it like it just like it just opens your eyes to the way that the world is in other places I guess is an easy way to say it yeah totally I love that so what is the most powerful routine you do to live a financially free and balanced life well it kind of involves my daughter when I said how I had to borrow money for her because it's almost like I created a monster with her because (laughs) when I borrowed it I said to her when she was two I said, can mommy borrow some of your money and I'll pay you back at 10% interest. And so, you know, because I felt like, you know, this is what I'm taught to do. If I borrow money, I have to, you know, pay the interest. And so with my kids, like even if I would, you know, go to the hair salon and I didn't have cash on me and I'd say, Addison, can I borrow, you know, $100 so I can go get my hair done? She's like, yeah, but as long as you pay 10% interest. (laughs) So like I've always taught them that, like, you know, they're going to lend out their money and they save every single penny that they have and they invest it and they do different things. But I think the biggest thing is 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 creating a budget, but then being okay to talk about that budget. Because I grew up whenever I was younger, like we were very, you know, middle to lower class. Like, you know, we didn't have enough money to do everything we wanted to do. And I remember always hearing my parents say, oh, we don't have enough money for that. Oh, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like even different times, like throughout my real estate career, whenever things would be like, you know, on a slump, like I was always too proud to be like, I don't have enough money for that. I can't afford that. And I would try to figure out a way. But I think like the biggest takeaway for anybody listening is to create a budget with your family and then use the budget as the excuse. Because if you don't have the money to do something, sorry, kids, it's not in the budget. Sorry, kids, we don't have that in the budget. The budget doesn't allow for that. So then it doesn't make you feel bad to tell your kids no, because now you have the budget and then not only having the budget and sticking to it, now you're not going to be in that financially negative spot because it's always when you're trying to do and do and please and try to you know keep up with the Joneses and all those different things that people you know are trying to do that you end up you know over leveraging because in this world you know in the past it was like a one income type of a scenario the, the wife stayed at home the husbands had the income 
They were able to have retirements and savings. Now it's like two people are working. Some people are even doing two jobs. And people are not only not having enough money to make paycheck to paycheck, now they're living upside down and, and leveraging credit cards. So now you have it to where you're not even making enough to survive. And then if you don't want to tell your kids no, well, then just basically say, here's our budget and here's yeah. the things that we're going to do. And we're going to look forward to that. And if it's not in the budget, then the, and then then you teach your kids that. Like even my son, he wanted this pirate castle. We ended up getting it for him for his birthday. But he didn't think he was getting it for his birthday. And he's like, I'm going to save up for that and I'm going to buy it this summer. So, sure. he's, you know, he was four at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he learned to to save and to budget so that he could have what he wanted. And that's not something I was ever taught as a kid. Yeah. So powerful. Which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? I think it would be my grandmother on my dad's side. I never met her. She died when my dad was 15 and, you know, they had my great grandparents, they had migrated from Poland, you know, in the early 1900s. They, you know, brought over their butcher block, created a, a butcher shop in, in a, you know, a town over. They didn't have anything. And, you know, she was like one of those, you know, hardworking women that, you know, stayed at home, but then took care of the family. And then but before that, she had all these different careers like she she went to school to become a nurse. She was a flight attendant. She put everything on hold to be, you know, a mom and to take care of her family and ended up passing away when my dad was 15 years old. So somebody like her, you know, I'm the only female, um, you know, descendant of her um, other than now my daughter. But, you know, just kind of like, you know, she had a box that you know was her like prized possessions and all these different things. And I look through it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so similar because, you know, she traveled. She did different things. She did real estate. And it's like, wow, I'm like literally the summary of what she was, what she was working towards, and I never even met her. So she's wow. somebody that definitely inspired me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, Jenna, thank you so much for taking time to be with us uh, on our show. Thank you for sharing your journey and, uh, and all the great tips you also shared. So thanks so much for your time and appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, do something with what you learned. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, Go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.